0: Uh, I was kind of the object of jokes, and uh, as you might imagine, anyone would just have to put their hand over their mouth and say whatever, and I would never be able to understand it. So uh, it was a kind of a tough environment, and it, it made me angry um, at people, but at God, because I knew enough about God to know God could change this, but for some reason He didn't. And uh, so I struggled with that. I struggled with identity, uh, and my attempt to be equal to people took place on a basketball court or a football field. That's where I could find that I could compete and I could be equal to other people that way. Not in the classroom, not in conversation, but in sports athletics. So that was my life for a while, ended up being a college basketball player, but never stopped struggling with the self-identity and asking the question, why?
1: Thanks for tuning in to the Reframing Ministries podcast, where we provide strength for today and hope for tomorrow for caregivers and their families. We'd love to hear how these episodes have helped you. After rating, would you share your story in the review section of your preferred podcast app? Our team at Reframing Ministries loves to hear stories of hope and healing, and how we've played a small part in them. Now, here's Colleen.
2: welcome again to reframing ministries i'm so thankful that you are here to join us either watching or listening to a wonderful interview because we are going to be talking today about setbacks and unexpected events that happen in our lives that we are unprepared for that often can wipe us out and we're left wondering where do we find our hope my friend john Mater has written a book called God's Not Done With You, Encouragement from Bible's Greatest Comeback Stories. John, you are pastor of a church not far from here in Ulysses, Texas, and have been in ministry for over 40 years. Thank you for being with me today.
0: Uh, So thrilled to be with you, Colleen. Thank you for inviting me.
2: Well, John, if there's anything we've learned in the last few years, it's that our lives can change in a heartbeat and A lot of people that you are speaking to and that I'm speaking to are experiencing that very thing and they don't know where to turn. Your book comes out of a personal story actually that you mention and I'd love for you to share that as we get started.
0: Sure, well my personal story has to do with uh, many years ago when I was a young child uh, having a a high fever uh, Mm -hmm. and being in the country, out in the countryside, there were no hospitals near. Through a phone call to a doctor, Uh, My parents were told to submerge me in a bathtub full of ice and water to break a fever that was becoming dangerous and enduring. And uh, so they they did that. That's my first actual memory when I think back to my earliest memories. Mm -hmm. It's mom and dad pushing me in that bathtub full of ice and water. It's kind of a strange first first memory. Uh, And the result of that was my fever broke, but I had been left with a hearing loss that was uh, more than 90% so my world went silent at the age of about six Uh, i'd learned to speak already so i had some verbal skills uh the verbal skills of a six-year-old but uh nonetheless it became silent and um my parents were pretty challenged i think to teach me how to function in the real world Um, and they did a phenomenal job i think Um, they surrounded me with some people that were encouraging they themselves are believers they knew that god could give us grace uh, and as a young boy I learned about grace on a daily basis mm-hmm. uh, with that kind of circumstance. So um, you know I, I never did learn to sign. Uh, it's, I never was in an area that had any resources along those lines. I was taught to read lips so I associate what sounds I hear with lip movements. Mm-hmm. I hear some vowels uh, like a murmuring sound in the next room is what it sounds like and then I see the consonants being formed by a person's lips since so I'm a lip reader. I'm a great lip lip reader. I can read the lips of people on the sideline of football games calling plays. They should hire me to do that.
2: (laughs) Well, let's just not have anyone talking about something in the sermon if they're not agreeing with you. And you can certainly see that from the pulpit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly right.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm sure that um, at that moment, not that moment, but that experience and what followed, because I was watching another sermon where you were talking about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, did you, ha- you had hearing aids at a very young age, and so I can imagine bullying and being set apart or feeling like an outsider was a massive challenge.
0: That really was. Uh, we lived in a small town, which at first was very supportive uh, and understanding. Uh, then we moved to a larger city where there was much less understanding. I, I mm-hmm. probably stuck out more because uh, as a young man with hearing aids and the old style hearing aids were a little bit bigger, more awkward. Uh, I was kind of the object of jokes, and uh, as you might imagine, anyone would just have to put their hand over their mouth and say whatever, and I would never be able to understand it. So uh, it was a kind of a tough environment, and it, it made me angry um, at people, but at God, because I knew enough about God to know God could change this, but for some reason, He didn't. And uh, so I struggled with that. I struggled with identity, uh, and my attempt to be equal to people took place on a basketball court or a football field. That's where I could find that I could compete and I could be equal to other people that way. Not in a classroom, not in conversation, but in sports, athletics. So that was my life for a while. Ended up being a college basketball player, but never stopped struggling with the self-identity and Mm. asking the question, why? It made me angry. Uh, Until one day, God just uh, helped me understand that he had a bigger plan than I could possibly imagine and, uh, and asked me to trust him with it and uh, asked me to let his love for me and his acceptance for me be enough. And uh, it was a life-changing moment in the car in a parking lot of my college campus where I said, God, I will trust you and your love is enough. And things changed for me for the positive from that moment on.
2: Well, from age six until college, you're talking about a lifetime or a your, all of your developmental years and the patterns of being angry and the, now that we have learned more about interpersonal neurobiology, how was it to break the habit of just becoming immediately
0: angry? Well, I, I think that God, God gave me great grace in helping me know how to break that anger. Uh, part mm-hmm. of that was just accepting his future for me was better than what I thought uh, my future ought to be. Uh, So I had to do some surrendering. But then I still had the emotion of anger. I still had the tendency to get mad quickly. And uh, it was about that time in college that I was mentored by a guy who just really taught me to memorize Scripture. And it was the memory of several key verses in the Bible about anger that uh, came to my aid. And I didn't really Mm -hmm. have counseling along the lines of what someone would call deliverance or freedom counseling. I was just taught to replace the angry thoughts with what the scripture says about trusting God, not not being afraid, and, uh, and not letting anger get the best of me. Uh, verses such as uh, Ephes- uh, Ephesians 4, Be angry and sin not, let not the sun go down on your anger, or give the devil an opportunity. Or James 1, Uh, The anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. Now, I've known these since I was a freshman in college. And over a period of time, as anger began to creep into my mind and my heart, and I I, I had a tendency to react to it, um, those verses became more powerful than the feelings of anger. And God just gave me victory by uh, showing me there was a better way. So over a course of about three or four months, my anger went away, and it's continued to stay. Uh, away um, because of the power of God's Word.
2: You know, so often we hear today that the belief that Scripture is true, it is the Word of God, it is able to equip us in times in and out of every season, that belief is fading. And your book speaks directly to where we are today as you Mm -hmm. talk about the different characters that you highlight. Um, they w- they went through horrible, horrible things. Uh, Elijah, Jonah, Abigail, David, Peter, Hezekiah, Moses, Joseph, I mean, every one of those. Which one was hardest to write about?
0: Well, I think that uh, Moses was difficult to write about because anger is part of his history. And I hmm. identified so closely with that. Um, Plus, Moses' uh, story is very brief. Uh, He has three 40-year periods of his life. His life can be divided equally in those three 40-year periods, and uh, you still only have about a chapter of Scripture on all of that. Uh, Unlike Joseph, who occupies uh, 14 chapters in the book of Genesis, you've got just a few chapters, but it's really clear. Moses had great favor his first 40 years, the second 40 years. He's on the backside of the desert because of an angry reaction to injustice against one of his own countrymen. So uh, it helped me see some things about my own life in retrospect. And that was, I was angry about what I perceived to be an injustice, and I was reacting angrily, and and that's not the way to do it. And, uh, of course, Moses had 40 years to figure that out before God finally spoke to him again. You know, we struggle to get alone and listen to God, and it must have taken Moses quite a few years to get to that place where that burning bush actually appealed to him, and he stopped, and he listened to God. But the last 40 years of his life were incredible. We know it as the Exodus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the Lord's got bigger plans for us than we can imagine.
2: I think it's interesting because you mentioned when you lost your hearing, the world became very narrow. Um, and I also, as I mentioned earlier, have lost my hearing and have had surgeries to repair that. But there's a silence that cannot be explained when our ears don't work. And I think there's a spiritual connection to that same kind of silence that we feel from God Mm -hmm. when our lives don't work. Can you talk into that for us?
0: Yeah, I can. And and I I would... uh... I agree with you that it's a different kind of feeling, it's a different kind of silence than what most people perceive. Most people are looking for silence, they want to find it. We can't find our way out of it sometimes, we can't hear. and um, So there are, there are benefits to that, for example, you can sleep through the night without anybody disturbing you. Um, my <laughs> exactly. wife and I had six children, they're all adults today, but I doubt I woke up very many times in the night, my wife had to do that because she heard them. Um, So there are some things that we don't really want to hear in life, and and I get to skip all (laughs) those things, (laughs) but when I really want to hear something audibly, um, I'm not able to do that often, and so there's a frustrating element to that. Uh, One of my big arguments when I sensed that God was calling me to the ministry was that God could not use a man that couldn't hear people, couldn't hear uh, the needs of people or the prayers of people and so forth. And uh, the Lord spoke to me one time, not in an audible way, but in a very clear, unforgettable way, basically saying this to me, If you can hear me, then you can hear all you need to hear. Yeah. And uh, that really constituted a bit of a call to ministry to me, because all of a sudden, all my objections went to the wayside. And I realized that part of pastoral leadership is listening to God. And God doesn't have any trouble speaking to a deaf person. Um, it's just it's just we who are not always in the position to listen so um, that's, that's kind of how my uh, life began to unfold. I began to realize God could speak to me through scriptures. He could speak to me through the prompting of the Holy Spirit through godly counsel from others. And, and I began to depend more on that than I was the voice of man or the voice of a woman. It just it became more about focusing on him. And that, to me, has been the lifesaver of looking back and saying, why God? And it's, it's made me infinitely more sensitive to hearing him.
2: I mean, what grace and what an example of—you said at the beginning, God has so much for those who are enduring hard times now. What's mm-hmm. ahead cannot be imagined. Probably, I would, I would think, not being able to hear what other people are saying is a, is a gift in ministry.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. It is. You know, um, Paul— had the thorn in the flesh. I didn't actually write about this in the book, but it's certainly foremost in my own life. And he asked God to move this thorn in the flesh, which many believe was a physical ailment. Uh, And God said, no, that's not the plan. The plan is that my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made known in your weakness. And that's become a life verse for me, that I do sense God's daily grace that helps me, even in interactions, even as we speak, there's a measure of grace that most can't... uh, can't feel or understand because we're actually communicating and we're actually hearing each other for a cause. And that cause is uh, what God wants us to be talking about. So there's a grace there that uh, I love to talk about. Um, I love to talk about the concept of grace and grit. Probably first heard that from a guy named Chuck Window. But um, <laughs> nonetheless, that grace and grit has been part of my testimony as well. And lots of graces has helped me. And I, I say to people all the time, you don't even know the grace of God that's available to you until you trust him with something that you can't do yourself. That's not a bad place to begin.
2: And yet, John, it is so very hard when you're in it because I know my own personal experience with a son who's had multiple setbacks and challenges and doctors. And uh, there are times where I just hit a wall and I think I've done everything. God, I've done everything I know to do. And um, I know so many in our community are right there. Their children have seizures that they cannot stop. They are caregivers that are exhausted and God could change it, but he's choosing not to. Right. Can you talk into their hearts and encourage them?
0: I can, and, and I, I do love uh, to refer back to the character named, uh Joseph, the whole idea that, all the negative things that were happening in his life from family, from, uh, from, you know, ill treatment at the hands of Pharaoh or Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, the false accusation, the prison, all these things, to a genuinely good young man. Uh, later on, he could chalk up in uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And I've, I've referred to that as the 50-20 vision.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't
0: know why I'm going through what I'm going through at times, but I do know that I have a God who can weave that together perfectly. Another verse is Romans eight twenty eight. We know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, those called according to his purpose. And, and, and so I say to those that are in caregiving situations and in difficulty physically or emotionally or mentally, whatever it might be, depression is another area we speak of in the book. Uh, but the bottom line on it is God uses all those things as only God can. And you have two options. You have the option of of just sitting in that difficult moment and thinking it has no redemptive purpose. Or you can look to the God who does redeem things and say, okay, show me the end picture. Show me what's going to happen as a result of enduring or walking through this. And, um, and I think in the long run, that's the only
1: wise way to approach our difficult times. Visit us at reframingministries.com for all of Colleen's interviews, articles, recommended resources, and more. While you're there, don't forget to subscribe and receive our free five-day video devotional series, where Colleen provides pointers for navigating daily life and struggles.
2: that is so so good in fact i was going to mention depression because you talk about early in your marriage you and your wife went through a season of depression and you really ha- hit a dead end and didn't know what to do depression is so common um as in in the world of being isolated as so many of us are now how did you guys move forward
0: well this is uh, detailed in the story of elijah in the chapter of god's not done with you uh, after Darkness, Light is the name of that chapter. So it is very personal. My wife, Kim, and I uh, early in our marriage experienced this, and she particularly experienced this uh, several years of depression. Mm. And uh, it was a tough time for us because I was a young pastor. We, were, we had two children, a third on the way, uh, at the most critical moment. And um, I would come home from work, and she would be just seated on the stairway of the house, just inside the front door, uh, weeping and not knowing why. And uh, Kim is a deeply spiritual woman. She has walked with God for years. She's, uh, she's probably the most spiritual woman I know. And so it wasn't reconciling in my mind, how can someone that has it so together spiritually be so deep and dark in depression? How can that be? Mm. And I didn't really have training for that. Um, I didn't know resources. We didn't have counselors that we could turn to. Uh, I hadn't read much about depression in my whole lifetime. So I wasn't uh, the best equipped but what we learned to do uh, is to get on our knees and to pray through those moments, those bouts, those seasons where she could sense depression rolling in like a fog. And, um, and we, we discovered the life of Elijah and that became a life lesson for us. Even, even spiritual people, even spiritual leaders go through very dark times, but God is not unaware. And he will speak to us during those times and lift us out during those times. And uh, one of the greatest lessons we learned is that our greatest fears usually never come to pass, and that certainly was true of our own time with depression. Now, that's been years ago. Uh, My wife would say today and has said in conference uh, speaking that she's done that it's been decades since she's experienced that depression, and yet uh, all she had was God's power, God's word overriding those moments of depression. Now, that's not true. Um, with every story but it's true of hers and we, we find a great sufficiency in God's Word.
2: Well I, I would imagine it has added a depth to your ministry um, and to what she does as well.
0: Right, it does and it makes us sympathetic. My hearing loss or, or her uh, big battle with depression, things we deal with and things we find help from the Lord with are the kinds of testimonies that we're able to turn and help other people. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, there's a the great uh, opening line that Paul gives us about being comforted in our affliction with the comfort that God himself gives us when we're in affliction. And five times the word comfort is used and God is the one doing the comforting and we're receiving it so then we turn to others with that same comfort. So if you can look at it in the long haul, the end goal is God is equipping you to help somebody else down the road. If you'll trust him, you can help others trust him. So we've experienced that. And Kim has been a great encouragement to other people uh, in their dealings with depression or discouragement. Mm.
2: What a partner that must be. That's wonderful. I kind of nerded out a little bit because I like neuroscience in general. And when you talked about social isolation, I found some research recently done on that. And it says that with humans and animal models alike, there is a common occurrence. Depression is very high. Anxiety, of course, as we have observed in the mental health crisis in the last few years has gone very high. And also there is an altered neurotransmission in the brain. So the neural circuitry, how our brain connects and communicates to ourselves and to the rest of our body is altered. Now, hearing is a huge part of the brain. Um, How did you work through some of those developmental milestones where your friends may have been reading earlier or advancing in skills that you hadn't developed yet?
0: Well, I think I I worked through that with just the great help of parents and teachers that that walked with me through those times. Um, I had a mom that um, was uh, always quoting the Bible verse that says, I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Every time I would come to her depressed, down, weeping, discouraged in some way, she would would quote that verse to me. (laughs) And she would say, you know, God can help you with worse things than this. So, you don't don't give up on God, don't give up on your future. And so I had people around me like that. I, I can't stress enough the importance of Christian community. Those are our people placed in our lives by God himself. And if we close ourselves off to that, then we do miss out on the encouragement and the and the, the nurturing that comes from a community. For example, in the story of Elijah, he got alone. He left his servant and went another day's journey into the desert. Where he reached the deepest part of his depression, uh, not wise to do that. It's uh, it's wiser to have someone around you who is sympathetic and understanding. And even if that friend doesn't know everything about depression or everything about discouragement, they're a friend, and uh, and they do bring you great comfort in prayer and great comfort in conversation. So that's uh, that's something I try to keep myself surrounded by all the time.
2: So as a comforter of others, what? advice would you give or what direction, what, what wisdom would you pass along to those who do come alongside those who are struggling?
0: I think mirroring what Christ does for us is a big piece of this. Um, acceptance. Mm. I accept you. Don't, don't, you don't have to change for me. You don't have to perform in a different way for me. I accept you. Whether it's a hearing loss or it's depression or discouragement, I accept you. I'm your friend. You're not going to have to measure up to me. I'm just committed to you no matter what. That's a big, big thing in a person's life because often, with with hearing at least, it was always about measuring up. Others hear that I do, what I don't hear. They're able to make better grades than I can make in school. Uh, they're able to better carry on a social conversation than I can. So I really felt deficient, but I did have a few friends that said, hey, it doesn't matter. We'll clue you in what you need to know and we'll walk with you. And so I have people on my side. That's, that's a big piece of it. Even Elijah had an angel of the Lord come to him and and feed him and encourage him. So even when nobody else is around, uh, God will send an angel. But but I love the example of that angel. We can be an angel to somebody else, so to speak. Yep. We can be a friend, an encouragement, a prayer warrior. So when I, when I see people who are who have others around them that are really going through the valleys, Mm-hmm. that um i encourage them to step up and speak it's, even if it's just a word of acceptance and the promise of prayer it makes the biggest difference in somebody's life that they're not doing this alone i don't think that, enjoy that's huge
2: alone. no and it's not good for us in any way and as caregivers that is probably the one of the most significant sorrows is not having a companion or a group of people Uh, to come around them, because that is so powerful. So encouraging us to continue to pursue that, continue to reach out Mm. is so vital. Another point you made in the story of Jonah, you talked about a gal who uh, had run far from God, devastated experiences in life, losses that were so big, she just said, I'm done. And your encouragement was, it's never too late. Talk to us about that, because I know... It's easy to want to run and just say, God, I'm done
0: with you. I can't do this anymore. Yes, and so many people do that. They give up so quickly on God, thinking that God has given up on them. And Mm -hmm. I love that about Jonah or a number of these other stories where they really are, in our minds, pretty far gone from God. They've gone about as far as they can go. But no distance is too great for God, and it's never too late as long as you have breath, as long as you're alive, you have a way to get back to God, and, and he, he appeals to us to come back to Him. So, um, yes, the, the story I wrote about that is parallel to Jonah was a woman that, that really did walk away from God, and it was an encouragement of a sister in Christ who, who said these same words I'm saying to you, and that is, there's no distance that God can't span. There's no gap too big for God. And uh, he is relentless in his love for us, and, and he, he pursued this woman, and she's today one of the greatest worshipers I've ever known. Um, she is in our church, and she is regularly telling her story of having run far away from God and God drawing her back with his love. And when we sing a song like Reckless Love, you should watch her because she is absolutely um, reveling in her testimony of God just loving her with an incredible love. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely there that God is able to bring you back, and no distance is too great. And and I, I talk to people all the time that say God's done with me, and I would I would argue that I would say no, He's not. Let let God say that to you, but God's not going to say that to you because He's a redeeming God.
2: I love that you mentioned identity, John, and um, so many of these stories they could have all they could have all hung their hat on an identity of a victim or the identity of someone that um, was moved from Pharaoh's house into the wilderness for 40 years. How do we move forward and let this be part of our story but not be the root of our identity?
0: Well, the, the identity we have in Christ says so there's, there's, there's an old part of our lives that's out there, but there's also a new part of our lives and it's a, it's a daily decision. I say to people all the time, you can listen to one of two voices. You can listen to the call past to, to your past, which the accuser is all, always making. He's calling yeah. us back to our past. Or you can answer the call from the forgiver, Jesus, who calls us with an upward call. Now, even Paul said this in uh, Colossians or Philippians chapter 3. He said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the upward call invitation, the upward call and invitation uh, of God in Christ Jesus. Think of all that Paul had to overcome in his past. He was a persecutor of the church of Jesus, putting people to death. He was a religious terrorist, and now he was a spokesperson for Christ. So he said, I had to, I had to forget a lot of things. So Paul's identity all of a sudden became, I'm a child of God. I didn't earn it. It's by his grace. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15:10. it's what I call the grace and grit verse. Uh, he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me did not prove in vain, yet I labored more than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. So he just couldn't even talk about his own achievements without mixing in the grace of God, which is an appropriate way to look at life. And so identity has everything to do with who God says you are. Yeah. And, uh, and being able to say uh, that you are who God says you are instead of what your past says you are. We're not yeah. products of the past. We're products of the cross in Jesus Christ.
2: Oh, that is so good. Um, as we come to a close, I want to ask a question about feelings versus truth. And there, it is so easy to be swept away with our feelings, um, to feel, well, the reality is I am alone at times, or suffering is hard. It, it's grievous at times. And yet God's word is where we have to go for being stable. How did you wrestle through
0: that? You know, I think that's one of the greatest questions that you could ask, because the, the issue of how we feel today is probably one of the most dominant ideologies that is out there today. And mm-hmm. so people's desire or their feelings carry them off in directions that are moral issues, that create moral and relational issues um, that we could spend hours talking about. But... You know, the Bible tells us that we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. Our soul is mind, will, and emotions, and we are changed by the renewing of our mind. As our mind thinks, so our emotions can follow and our will eventually can surrender. Think of the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus, even though Jesus was perfectly human and perfectly God, He still suffered and agonized over the weight of the sin of the world and said, Father, if there's any way this cup could be passed from me, this suffering I'm about to undergo, then so be it. But nevertheless, not what I want, but what you will. And even there, he showed us that through prayer and through focusing on the Father's will, we can endure suffering and get out on the other side and do the right thing. So I tell people all the time, your feelings are not the way you lead. You don't lead with feelings. The feelings are on the caboose of the train. The facts and the truth are the engine that drives you in the right direction. Yeah. So feelings are not something that we can just die to, but they are things that we can set aside for the truth. So I yeah. encourage people to let their mind lead, let their will and emotions to fall in line behind, and they can live a life that is, um, that is truthful while putting feelings in the appropriate place. Mm-hmm. I often tell people that I can manipulate their feelings in a moment, just to, just to illustrate that. Yeah. And uh, I would say, if I called you and said, you have news, you've won a sweepstakes, you're a millionaire, your feelings are going to go off the charts. You're going to be excited. You're going to be thrilled. You're going to be grateful. And then I say in the next sentence, April Fools, it's not true. And all of a sudden, you're going to be angry. I've just manipulated your emotions from high to low because of how a physician, truth, or, or a lie. So it's really important for us to see how easily we're manipulated. So lead with the truth, the scripture of the word of God, lead with the truth, let your emotions and your uh, actions follow. So that's how I walk people through that process of uh, leading, not with your feelings, but with faith in the truth.
2: It truly is a renewing of our minds every single day, isn't it?
0: It is. It's a daily thing. You You die to your old way of life which was very much just your desires and your feelings, and you live to, to Christ, the truth. It's a daily battle. It's the daily battle, in my opinion.
2: Yeah. I know that um, those who are, there are some watching or listening right now, um, you started with surrender, that your life turned around when you surrendered. And that's been an a underlying theme through this whole discussion. John, will you just speak to that person who is resisting? right now, and it's their time to open their hands and say, God, okay.
0: Absolutely. You know, it's a, it's a wonderful time when you think about the fact that you have a future in front of you, you're still alive, you're still breathing, and you're hearing news about God, and you know that where you are right now is a place of turmoil. You use the word rustling. There are difficult things going on, and you've, you know there's got to be a better way. And you see what Christ has done for you on the cross and know that he can not only forgive the past, which often complicates where we are right now in almost every case, and that he can not only do that, but he can redeem the past. That is, all the bad things of the past can somehow be reused redemptively in the future. And then ask yourself the question, why would you not trust a God who can do that and who calls you to that? Mm-hmm. Because when it's in our hands, it continues to be chaotic, It continues to be weighty and confusing and uh, grief-filled, but in His hands, it changes everything. So my encouragement to them is learn to step out and trust what Christ did on the cross and trust what He promises for us. Give your life to Christ. Uh, Realize that you need Him completely. There's no way you can earn or deserve His acceptance. He simply accepts you by faith when you put your faith in him and he adopts you as his own child. And from that moment on, uh, he leads you as only a Lord can. Uh, And it becomes a a journey whereby you distance yourself from the past and you learn to walk with clarity and with joy and with freedom. And that's all there for the believer in Jesus Christ, no matter how turmoil-filled our past has been.
2: In fact, it's often the turmoil of the past that God will then turn around, and it keeps us humble, and it keeps us dependent, but it also is God working through us. Well, Mm -hmm. John, here's the book that you wrote. It is wonderful. Um, Comeback Stories are such an inspiration, and thank you for using scriptural truths and the stories there because they so apply to where we are today.
0: Thank you so much. It's been my privilege to write this book and I hope it helps many people and mm-hmm. uh, and that's why we wrote it.
2: That's great. Well, thank you so much, John, and people you, can find you on YouTube. I watch several of your sermons um, and there are maybe other places, social media sites that they can look you up as well. So Absolutely. we will definitely include that in our show notes. Thank you, John.
1: Thank you so much for your time. Thank you again for joining us today. We hope you'll join us again for future discussions with Colleen and World Influencers. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.